And as promised, we are going to be reviewing, the panel is going to review Sasha Swire's Diary of an MP's Wife. And we're going to start off now with Alison, I think. Off you go, Madirio. Right. Okay. Well, I... I'm not one for reading political novels. I know. Um, so <laughs> I, w- I was surprised I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. Uh, she made some irreverent comments about a lot of well-known people. She must have read Hilary Mantle at some point, but just for a bit of continuity here. As she saw Cromwell's death mask at Chequers, and she comp- compares Michael Gove to Thomas Cromwell as he likes to have people placed everywhere. Oh. So that was quite good. So, I mean, she's got some really funny expressions. Uh, for instance, she describes Conservative MPs as snakes and bucket, shedding skins and being ever more slimy. Which I thought was great. <laughs> what else has she got? Oh, yeah. Knee nibbling at the back of a plane. <laughs> uh, like many overexcitable journalists, Michael Gove mistakes headlines for achievements. And then her, her husband makes uh, honey. And they sort of sell it uh, to raise money for charity. And so he puts it in a waitress carrier bag and his his honey was auctioned off and raised £15,000 for one jar of honey. You're joking. Yeah, I mean, it was great. It goes to charity. So I thought that was quite interesting as well. And But I did think she was rather cruel about Camilla. Uh, Camilla is, of course, a pro when it comes to men. So that was really not very nice. Yeah, and then she describes. I don't know. You do you know this new aide of Prince Charles's that just been sacked or resigned or whatever? Fawcett. He was his nickname was Fawcett the Fence because he was involved in selling unwanted royal gifts back ages ago. So <laughs> you know. So I, I just thought it, it, it's funny, isn't it, how these scandals sort of re-emerge? You know, because I think this was written a little while ago. So um, some of the stuff happened quite you know quite a long time ago I mean Fawcett resigned ages ago didn't he it yes years. he did that's right yes uh-huh but she but the, the writing was on the wall at some point yes, you yes. I mean. well I presume that everything that she wrote about is true otherwise she'd have libel left well, yes uh-huh yeah I mean yeah I mean it must have been a, it's obviously been in in um, around power it's yeah. he's been known as so yeah. it was probably all very kept under under wraps at the time and she, I mean, she makes some funny comments about the Nigel Farage is to become Trump's diversity advisor, which <laughs> looks quite funny. And um, she she goes on the nutters have elected Paul Nuttall as the UK <laughs> president, which I thought was quite funny as well. And then she describes something about Jeremy Corbyn. She, I mean, nobody's nobody's been been exempt from this. Mm. Jezza uh, walks out of the Xmas party when Tony Blair's anthem, Things Can Only Get Better, is played on the karaoke. I mean, how she knows this, I don't know. I mean, was she at the Labour Party she Christmas been. I party? She must have been. <laughs> and what else? Oh, yeah. She, I mean, I, I, she was going on about fascinators from John Lewis, a dirt cheap. Now, I think her pay scale and my pay scale must yes. be slightly different on that one. <laughs> Yes. I saw this thing once and um, never wore it again. And um, yeah, I mean, I mean, she made some quite interesting political points as well. She goes on about social media is like how it, it mobilises people and creates sort of ang- angry, angry people. You know, all this, you just put a thing out on social media and everybody gets really, really cross. And it's basically rent a mob, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I mean, you didn't used to be able to do that years ago. So and it, and also people's expectations are, are, are much you know, they're much higher these days than 
of of political figures and everything. I mean, they're only human, aren't they? They make mistakes the same as the rest of us, but we expect them to be lighter than whiter than white or whatever. But having said that, you know, I mean, the, the I wasn't sure whether to consider her book satirical, really, but I, a lot of it, I was impressed with the, the the people who have the money and the power, and you know, the things that they she was sort of saying that they got up to. I mean, I I, I was quite shocked. You know, I mean, my middle class sensibilities were definitely piqued by <laughs> the things that they were getting up to. I mean, I, honestly, you know, for money. Um, uh, anyway, I just thought it was quite appalling, some of the stuff. But then, the, and some of it, I also thought it was very yes minister. Um, her, her story, I don't remember. Well, I remember yes minister and yes prime minister. I mean, I just love yes, yes. I think we all must do. We all um, must do. So, um, but it, a lot of it was, and and so it did occur to me that at, at the moment, the thing that's really in the, the news at the moment is um, about Boris and these parties that they all had last year you know this isn't very recent this is all stuff that went on a long long time ago so how come it's all being let out of the bag now you know what is the political motivation in the fact that all this information that has happened nearly a year ago or whatever has all suddenly come to light now and she makes this point in her book about how civil servants if they don't like a minister they can mislead the minister by giving them the wrong information and not briefing them correctly so they effectively get out get put out of because they have to resign because they make mistakes because they yeah. haven't been given the relevant information now, yeah. I think that's actually quite appalling that you know an elected minister is not given the information by people in a in a job because they the people in the job don't like them and I just I, I just I thought that was quite I thought that was quite revealing and I also thought it was yeah. quite revealing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I actually did think there was quite, it was very, very funny. There was lots of bits and pieces in there and, you know, and, and it also gives you a bit more of an insight about what these MPs do have to go through in their lives. It's not all fun and games for them, although a lot of it, I, I mean, they do, I mean, their second jobs and all the rest of that as well. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I just, again... I would love to have be able to get a second job as a director on working a day a week and get a half a million pounds a year for it. But it's not exactly. Out, is it? Exactly. No. Well, there are, as you all know, career politicians and um, people that are really, really genuine and want to do good. I think the majority of MPs do really want to do good, but there are the career ones as well. And what's been happening in the last, uh, well, what's been disclosed in the last couple of weeks reveals all. Really, I think it's just always gone on. Uh, but it's just kept under hat. And as you say, as with um, uh, as with Yes Minister, I mean, you know, it was so brilliantly written and so brilliantly true. Yeah. And I think that um, she brought all this to light, um, although obviously it is all incredibly subjective, but um, she, it was funny, very, very yeah. funny. Yeah. So would you read anything more of hers again or go back to Jane Austen? Uh, well, as I say, I mean, I did enjoy it, um, but yeah, no, politics doesn't doesn't particularly interest me. I, so, it, so this book hasn't turned you on to not really. No, no. I mean, I, f I found it very, very interesting. I'm glad I read it, but no, I think I'd rather just stick my head in the sand and not not get involved with <laughs> with politics. I do vote, but uh, that's as far as I'm going to go. I think with politics. So. If your best friend said, do you advise me to read this book, what would you say? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think it was a really good read, it, very in, information, and it was very well done. It was very funny. Um, I think she must have been a journalist at some point. Um, yeah, she because, is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because it's very, very well written and it's yeah. hilarious. And the irreverence that she's got about, oh, I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this, about um, about Hancock is she calls him hand, hand on cock, um, which was hilarious. I mean, she's so irreverent about all these people. It's just brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I really did. Non, totally non-PC, my dear. Yes, exactly. But there we go. Okay, that's lovely. Thanks ever so much. And now, Jean. I loved it. Well, I would, wouldn't I? What do you mean you would, wouldn't you? Why? <laughs> well, because, because of the irreverence. Uh, I'm quite a political animal. One of my daughters is in the... Mm-mm. Um, so I kind of got a bit of a drift of it anyway. And it belongs to that genre of diaries, which can be true or not true. I mean, you've got some, some diaries that are pure comedy and you've got some that are real, like Samuel Pepys and Anne Frank. Political satire is a kind of genre that maybe started with Machiavelli in the 14th century Italy. Always dangerous politics. If you think about what we read with um, Mantle, the Mantel, always very dangerous well, politically, historically. And very interesting because, of course, it covers the last, well, the 10 years, really, from Cameron's, is it 2010? Yeah, 210 to 219, I think, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Up to Brexit, which, so it's been the most interesting. And um, the machinations. What's interesting, what's terribly relevant right now, of course, is that Cummings is back. Dominic Cummings, because he got the boot, didn't he? Yeah. He had trouble with his eyesight at Castle Bernard. Yeah. Chucked <laughs> out. And then, but apart from that, let me come up to a few notes here. She actually is a, was a journalist, wasn't she? But she yes. does write some beautiful prose. She's got the bit about the butterflies uh, at, um, and the dragonflies and the water and the space and the fact that her mother, who's Serbian, I think, or Slovenian, Leaves her land because she says you have to have a field where you can grow things, then you know you'll survive. And then you have the, sort of the, the danger to the family. You had Sienna's little black book that she used to write bits in, and she left it, didn't she? Yeah. In the back of a taxi or something. And um, everyone had a fit because, of course, it's a security risk. And there was a lot about Northern Ireland, which I thought was rather interesting. That's a very delicate matter. So I thought, no, quite brave taking on Northern Ireland. Well, that's a conundrum, isn't it? She has a go at Amber Rudd because um, Amber Rudd takes, she takes no deal off the table. And she said she completely emasculates the government. Oh, and she calls, they're all waiting for Theresa May to resign or die or something. What did she call her? Was it the, the Mott? The Maybot. The Maybot, yes, that was it. She says, the 24th of July, must have been 2019, I suppose. Um, yes, she's gone. The Maybot has gone. Hooray, hooray. Oh, change at the top. And Joe Swinson, leader of the Lib Dems. Um, and she talks about the blonde has made it comfortably as leader. That's obviously Boris. She has quite a lot about Boris. Um, and she calls Jeremy... I can't remember which one. Or else Jeremy or 
or Jeremy Corbyn, Jeremy Orslick. And Boris told us the sun was shining, our future was assured. He was going to prove to all the gloomsters and the doomsters that he's the booster rooster who can deliver the goodsters, deliver unity, defence, etc. She says, the big shock announcement so far today, that's back in, in July, is that the Leave Bureau, Dominic Cummings, has been summoned back into the fold as Boris's chief advisor. Uh, the Remain Loving Civil Service must be collectively fainting. Um, and as Alison says, if they don't like you, you're toast. Yeah. It does seem to me at the moment that it's the coordinated attack, almost led by civil servants, that is um, a unison in the NHS. I know they're up against it, but there seems to be an attack. And of course, the main general leading the attack is Dominic Cummings. She yep. says other things about him. I met Cummings a few times. He looks like an uh, odd amoeba that you find in a jar in school science lab. <laughs> but what always struck me was his overinflated idea of his own importance. And when they win the election, up in London, our current Rasputin figure, Cummings, sends rockets up the arses of anyone in range. Um, the Queen, Dominic, probably Boris. Thing is, we all know Cummings is stark raving mad. You just have to look at his blog. But we're hoping that his maverick, uh, radical lunatic streak, he will get over it or something like that anyway. Yeah. And um, she says, he's so bloody rude to everyone. <laughs> at the other lunatic asylum, which is the Labour headquarters, she says, Matt the Knife, which is John McDonald, pops up to say that if Boris doesn't go when they tell him to, he'll put Jezza in a taxi and send him round to Parliament. That's when they wouldn't call an election. Yeah. And it says that um, Boris, majority of one, might be the shortest living Prime Minister in history. She does write really well. She's very clever. Uh, but the funniest thing is of what she calls people. What she says about Michael Gove, I can't possibly repeat, but Alison knows. <laughs> um, that's Michael Gove. Oh, yeah. and she calls Burko the little goblin. And Nicholas Soames, about something or other, says, My lips are sealed as tight as a lobster's bum. Which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> quite a lot. I mean, it ends with the Brexit vote, which is rather wonderful for those who believe in Brexit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually a really interesting read, but if you're not interested in politics, you wouldn't read it anyway. But I thought it was wonderful. So you found it funny. Did you find it informative? Very, very true. And very true. From her point of view, because she's obviously conservative. Yeah. If I was um, Labour, I suppose I'd be listening to Emily Thornberry or something. Yeah. Who's come up on the um, TV again, hasn't she? Yes. Even more opinionated. But <laughs> you have to feel quite fond of her, really, because she does actually believe what she says. Yes, I know. I know. The only person okay. in the country that does. <laughs> right. So you would recommend this book, Jean? I would. I love it. You loved it. Okay.
All right, so now we'll go over to Felicity. So far, two out of two. Well, I agree with uh, Alice and Jean that she's a good writer. Having said that, the book to me felt very thrown together, but then it is a diary, so you would probably expect, expect that. I think it could have done with a little more editing from the people in charge, but they probably had a Herculean task, you know, picking out what was actually published from the vast, the vast um, volume of notes that she produced. But I particularly enjoyed the lyrical passages when she described her home in Devon. I thought that was some of her best writing and uh, I really enjoyed those. I have to say for me, it felt as though it was divided into two parts. So there was the first part where her, her husband was in the cabinet and he was a real political insider. And she had the inside track to some very senior people in government. And she was at a lot of social events where they were present. That felt to me very interesting because she had those sort of deep insights that most political commentators wouldn't have. But however, once he became an MP, and she was pushed out to the outer fringes. To me, she became just another political commentator, which I didn't find so interesting. But then probably unlike Jean and Alice, I'm not a particularly political animal. But for me, the first half was definitely the most interesting, particularly when she describes social events when she's actually there, because then she's getting her information at first hand conversations she's having with people that's actually very interesting when her opinions are recycled through her husband or somebody else so she's relating things secondhand to me that was less interesting and less revealing if you like I think it raised a few of my feminist tackles I have to say because you know obviously she's a very talented woman ex-journalist as Jean said highly politically astute, very intelligent. And I just found myself thinking, really, in this day and age, you know, she's kind of, she's only there because of her husband. Mm -hmm. And I found myself thinking, I would actually love her to see her do something in her own right. The whole sort of woman behind the man thing felt a bit kind of 1950s, 1960s to me. And I thought, actually, as women, we've moved beyond that. So if, if I was introduced to her, I would say what some people said to her in the book is actually get out there yourself and achieve something. You've got the talents to do it. Well, don't uh, you think she did as a journalist before? I think she was a journalist before she got married. But as being married to a politician, one of your roles is, isn't it, is to support your politician husband and be there when you are required to be there but I didn't feel that um, she lessened herself as a strong woman or a feminist I I think she's I think she's definitely a strong woman and she was a journalist before she had the children obviously you know bringing up children that's going to take up a large part of your life but I would definitely like to see her now doing something in her own right I would find that very good. And actually talking about being the woman who supports an MP and vice versa, you know, obviously Theresa May's husband. I think the person who came out of the book really well was um, Samantha Cameron, because she um, sort of started up her own business when David Cameron was, was in power. And she was supportive of him whilst not losing her own identity. So I think she's quite a good model for somebody who could be supportive and have their own, their own sort of career, if you like. 
Yeah. Um, don't you think, don't you, sorry to interrupt, Grace. Don't you think when I talk about supporting your husband, those poor, poor women that have been pulled in front of the cameras when their husbands have gone off and done something very naughty that have, you know, been found in, uh, in, in embarrassing circumstances with whoever or whatever, and then the poor wife is hauled out in front of all the cameras to say how wonderful they are and he's very sorry, but, you know, they have a strong marriage. How many times have you seen that? Uh, yes, and actually, we'd love them to come out and say, "Oh, actually, he's been a complete snake." And I'm going to yes, divorce. exactly. I'm going to divorce his ass at the first opportunity. Exactly, but they you don't. Know. They just they just stand there all meek and mild. And do you remember? Do you remember? I'm sort of digressing a bit here, ladies. Uh, do you remember um, the film? Uh, hopefully, you've seen the boat that rocks. Yes, I love it. It's all about yeah. Well, do you remember the politician played by Kenneth Branagh? Yes, yep. I do. And the wife around the dinner table at Christmas. And she was just being the very, very subservient wife and agreeing with everything he said. And did you remember that? It was hysterical. If you've not watched it, you've got to watch it. Kenneth I, Branagh, I adore anyway. And I've got to see this new film, Belfast. It's meant to be brilliant. Um, anyway, I digress, ladies. I'm sorry. Back to you, Phyllis. <laughs> yeah, so I was saying she's got all the connections, she's got all the advantages. Obviously, you know, her husband, her father rather, was a prominent politician. Um, so she's extremely well connected. So I'd like to see her achieve more in her own right. Having said that, I thought at first I was going to find her right wing politics a bit unpalatable. And in some places, I really did, I have to say. But as the book went on, she became, she's more complex politically than I at first thought. At first, I thought she would be a dyed in the wool, very right wing Tory and a big supporter of Brexit. I did a bit of research. And I believe she voted Remain, which really surprised me. And as the book went on, her political views became more nuanced, which I thought very good. I, I enjoyed that. Having said that, some bits just came across as a bit silly to me. Maybe I just haven't got much of a sense of humour, but uh, but I did find sometimes, you know, all the all these nicknames and everything. I just got a bit a bit bored with them towards the end, and I find I've already forgotten quite a lot of it. I would recommend it to friends, and overall, I enjoyed it. It made me profoundly grateful not to be involved in politics in any way shape or form yeah it just yeah. it just seems like you know the most awful world to be involved in no oh, absolutely um, I agree. you know i mean the the you know, the corporate world is hard i know that from experience but the political world just does seem particularly cruel and backbiting and um sometimes anti-meritocratic so exactly. i came out thinking i could never be a politician Okay, Felicity, so was that some complete review? Yes, it, yes, it was. I mean, I enjoyed it and I will definitely uh, recommend uh, friends read it. I don't think you have to be politically involved or to, to enjoy it. I think, you, I think you just can enjoy it for, you know, it, it's about public figures that everybody will recognise for the most part. So you can enjoy it without being terribly interested in politics. I was going to say, I, I agree with her there because I don't take any interest in politics whatsoever. And I was actually surprised at how many names I recognised when I read the book, because as I say, I don't really take much notice of it. So yeah, that was quite interesting. 
what do you think the motivation was? I mean, she's written a book where she's slagging off, basically. What do you think her motivation was in writing this? Was it purely money? I mean, she's she's not a poor woman. You know, they, they're quite a well-off family. I mean, obviously, a little everybody wants a little bit more money. But, you know, I, th- I actually think maybe she wants to be another Samuel Pepys, you know, and actually be a political diarist and give everybody a little bit of an insight into, into that world. Because I think she has done it and she's done it quite successfully. So, so you think this book will hold up in um, 100 years, 200 years time? Definitely. Because Definitely, it, Jean. Why not? Don't see why not. I, I thought it was very good. So it chronicles, it chronicles the, the most important happening of this century so far is leaving Europe. Yeah, Brexit. European, we haven't left yet. So we're still stuck on the edge of it. But mm. um, leaving the European Union, that, that is the most important thing ever. And the, the agony of getting that through. And whatever happens to him this week, he'll be seen as the man that did it. He got yes, he will. He will go down in history with that. And what about you, Fliss? What do you think? I'm not sure if people will be reading it avidly in 100 years' time. But mm. I agree with with Jean and Alice, that some, it covers some momentous events. Mm. I think what I found interesting and slightly alarming is how very silly some of the people came across who were responsible for these momentous yeah. events. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, David, David Cameron really came across sometimes as just being... Lightweight. An, 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 an yeah. overgrown schoolboy and just... Yeah. I think silly is the best word that I can think of. I think you... Okay. Is a better one. Yeah. And I, I think it does, it just gives you an insight into obviously, as Alice said, all these people are human beings, but sometimes they're human beings that, you know, you wouldn't hire if they applied for a job with you, or I certainly wouldn't. Well, exactly. I wouldn't either. But let me get, read you the two reviews that I found. One was positive, the second one was negative. The positive review the book arrived yesterday, and today, 500 pages later, I have finished it. I can't remember enjoying a book so much for a long time. It is well-written and superbly edited and wonderfully indiscreet about senior politicians in the period 2010 to 2019. The author quite likes David Cameron, the Swires and the Camerons are personal friends, is deeply suspicious of George Osborne, quite rightly, and regards Michael Gove as a menace because he is so untrustworthy. But she is good value on many other politicians and there are some splendid moments like Hugo Swire, her husband, enabling their daughter to have her picture taken with Jeremy Corbyn. Then there is the formal dinner where a piece of fish shoots out of someone's mouth only to land on the ample bosom of the Lebanese ambassador's wife. This made me hoot with laughter, but I was riveted throughout. If you have any interest in politics, even with all the present nonsense going on, please try this. So that was a positive. And then the negative. Living in Devon, I have been aware of this woman's loathsome husband for many years. He was widely disliked in his parliamentary constituency. His wife was never seen with or without him in local political circles, but it appears that they spent most of their time entertaining their friends rather than tending their voters. Now we know she is just as loathsome as her husband. She is cruel, vindictive and patronising, often as much towards her husband as to others. She seems to have a low opinion of him, one with which I heartily concur. If you want to understand how Northern Ireland, foreign affairs and Brexit were and are handled, it should be required reading. However, if you're one of those unlucky Tories in his London abode or one of those hard-working constituency workers named 
and shamed in the book, you might want to pull the duvet over your head. There we are. Obviously a Labour voter. <laughs> I think the second one, uh, yes, I, I agree it well. She, she's definitely got some kind of personal axe to grind. I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what people who don't have a personal axe to grind think about it. Right, right. I think the, pro the problem is that you have a lot of no marks with consciences who pretend to be holier than now. And if you think about parties, though, the parties, most of the parties, parties weren't parties. They were people working who had a glass of wine and a bit of cheese at the end of the week. And if you think about how many people also drink a glass of wine and have a bit of cheese at the end of the week, the whole country would be guilty. And I just think that there are far more important things like Russia rattling its sabres at um, Ukraine. So much going on in the world, so much danger and so much going on. And you've got these wimps, some of them. Well, I mean, if you look at Keith, um, Sir Keith and you look at Boris, one's a liar, obviously, and one isn't, obviously. But I know who I'd rather have facing the Russians. If it came to that, this rag, Christopher Rag, who's crossed the floor. If you can cross the floor, it doesn't say much about him. That's the book and recommended reading by all of you. Now, who is going to recommend a book for next month? My recommendation will be Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart. OK, and you're happy with that, ladies? Yes. Yes, that's lovely. OK. Now, we were discussing earlier on um, Desert Island books. Now, Desert Island has your 10 favourite tunes. And we thought about books. So I'm going to choose Alison for next month. If you can have a think about it, Alison, and you can tell me which books you would take onto a desert island. How about that? Okay. Yeah, only restricted to 10. My goodness, that's only a couple of days reading for me. <laughs> I know, I know. I'd much rather to do, do 10 authors. <laughs> but well, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, think of 10, I'll think of 10 books. Okay, all right then, so we'll do that for next month. Anything else you'd like to add, ladies? Do you want to talk about any other books that you've been reading that you think that our listeners may want to be, will be interested in? Yeah, of Yeah, so while we're on the subject of non-fiction books, I recently read a book called Written in Bone, and I've got to just quickly remind myself, yes, by Sue Black, Professor Sue Black, who also wrote a book called All That Remains. So Sue is a forensic pathologist and has worked on some of the, the biggest sort of prime cases going. It's two memoirs, really, All That Remains and Written in Bone. It's sometimes difficult reading, sometimes a bit harrowing, but at the same time, very uplifting. And I would recommend uh, both those books to, um, to Alison. OK. All right. Lovely. And you, uh, Jean? I've been reading Postmortem, A Distant Cousin Who Was Married in Scotland in 1908 and I will do a story sometime called Two Missing Teeth and a Pair of Stays. Okay. Yes, <laughs> and Alison? Well I've just finished doing a writer, writer romantic comedy course so I've just been reading a lot of romantic comedy rec recently. Um, it was run by Jenny Colgan uh, who's she's just got a novel out at the moment called 500 Miles or something. 
yeah. um, which I've read, which I thought was quite good. So, um, yeah, so I've just been reading quite a lot of romantic comedies recently, so which you won't be interested in soon. <laughs> well, well, I don't know. As you know, I just haven't got time to do all this reading. But my son-in-law, bless his heart, he told me at Christmas he'd read this amazing book. And I saw that sounds interesting. And then the post arrived yesterday, Amazon delivery. And I thought, I haven't ordered anything. And it was this book, which is The Elizabethans, How Modern Britain Was Forged, Andrew Marr. So oh. I've got to read it because my son-in-law sent it to me. And he said it was really fascinating reading. It hasn't got too small a writing, but it's got it's quite thick. So anyway, I shall I shall get into this for the next month. Yeah. Um, before you go, ladies, I just wanted to say because you're obviously all part of the writing group, the BBC have aired several stories. They aired Alex, didn't they, Jean? Which was your story. Yeah. They also aired recently Evie Coppard's The Love That Binds and some others which haven't got on the top of my head. But I am delighted with the quality, as you know, of all the stories that you send in. You know how I'm in awe of you all. But it's lovely that the uh, BBC also loves what I send up to them and that you are now in BBC Sounds, Jean. They 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 did my story as well, Dylan's yep. Day Out. Yeah, uh, I did. And, and, and The Clockwinder's clock Daughter. daughter. So yeah. that's Alison's, and yours was Alex, and yours was Dinner's Out. So you've all been on the BBC, and you're all in BBC Sounds. Great wow. stuff. Well done, Fantastic. well done, everybody. In the new year, well, we are in the new year, but I'm getting um, Wavelengths Productions website going, and I must get all these stories out to local radio and hospital radio, and I'll start working on that. Uh, and I love what you did with the ghost stories. Lovely. Good, 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 good. Well, the love mm. that binds off that was very well, you're all they're all very good. Okay, my lovelies. So next month, and what's the book again? Shaggy Bane. That's right, by Douglas Stewart. You're going to be doing that, Fliss. That's lovely. So thank you, ladies. Have a great month. Enjoy reading, and I'll see you soon. Bye for now. See you soon. Bye. Bye. And now what's on the Sunday Times bestsellers for this month? Let's do the hardbacks first of all. Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before by Julia Smith. Clinical psychologist's advice for navigating life's ups and downs. Number two, Manifest by Roxy Nafus. An introduction to the personal development practice of manifestation. Number three, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. It's still there. Charlie Mackesy. An illustrated fable containing gentle life philosophy. Absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Number four, Bigger Than This by Fern Cotton. Advice on love, communication and awareness to inspire happiness and hope. Number five, What I Wish People Knew About Dementia by Wendy Mitchell. Dispels myths and stereotypes of living with dementia. Number six, Big Panda and Tiny Dragon by James Norbury. Illustrated Mindful Tale of Friendship Inspired by Buddhist Philosophy. Seven and Away, Bob Mortimer, The Shooting Stars and Gone Fishing Funny Man's Autobiography. Eight, Windswept and Interesting Billy Connolly, Memoir by the Comedian Who Rose to Fame After an Appearance on Parkinson. I love Billy Connolly. Number nine, Stolen Focus, Joanne Hari, Why Our Attention Spans Are Getting Shorter and What We Can Do About It. And number 10, 
Diddly Squat by Jeremy Clarkson. Stories of the agricultural life from the Bullcrafters' farm in the Cotswolds. Now, I did see that on the television. It was very, very funny. Now, the paperbacks uh, non-fiction. Number one, Spoon-Fed, Tim Spector. Busting common food myths created by bad science and the food industry. Number two, Atomic Habits, James Clear. The minuscule changes that can grow into life-altering outcomes. Number three, the good vibes, good life, Vex King. How positive thinking, self-love and overcoming fear lead to lasting happiness. Number four, positivity, Paul McKenna, on using your creative imagination to defeat entrenched negative mindsets. Number five, recovery, by Gavin Francis. Reflections on illness, recovery and the power of convalescence. Number six, Islands of Abandonment by Carol Flynn, an exploration of extraordinary places where humans no longer live. Number seven, The Power of Geography, Tim Marshall, a study of 10 regions that could define global politics in the future. Number eight, Breath by James Nestor, an exploration of the lost art and hidden science of breathing. Number nine, Murder Investigation Team by Stephen Koff, Kyof, Kyo, how do you pronounce that? K-E-O-G-H, apologies. An insight into how Scotland Yard investigates murders and catches killers. And number 10, Entangled Life, Merlin Sheldrake, Biologist's Examination of the Fungal World and Its Importance to the Planet. Now, let's go on to fiction. Number one, Richard Osman, the man who died twice. Stolen diamonds worth 20 million cause chaos for the Thursday Murder Club. Now, I did read the Thursday Murder Club and I know it was number one for so long, but I just find too, I found that it had too many characters in it. The panel did agree. There were some very, very funny lines, but um, I wonder if this is going to be the same. It'll probably be there for a long, long time. Number two, To Paradise, Hanya Yanakihara. A novel in three parts, spanning three centuries, set in three versions of America. Number three, The Twyford Code. A recently released prisoner examines a mystery that has haunted him for decades. Number four, The Maid by Nita Prose. A hotel maid discovers an infamous and wealthy guest dead in his bed. Number five, Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Sue Lin Tan. A young woman's quest to free her mother pits her against an immortal. Ooh. Number six, A Terrible Kindness, Browning Rowe. A newly qualified embalmer volunteers his services after the Abervan disaster in 1966. Number seven, Should I Tell You by Jill Mansell. The lives of three adults who met as teenagers at a Cornish foster home. Number eight, The One Impossible Labyrinth by Matthew Riley, the final instalment in the series following the exploits of a former SAS soldier, Jack West Jr. Number nine, Invisible by Danielle Steele. An aspiring filmmaker must decide the price she's willing to pay to chase her dream. And number 10, Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney. The lives and loves of a group of four young friends in Ireland. Those are the hardbacks and now we'll go on to the paperbacks. Number one, It Ends With Us, Colleen Hoover. A first love's reappearance threatens a woman's present relationship. Number two, 
The Sanatorium by Sarah Pierce, a murder mystery set in an imposing isolated hotel high in the Swift Alps. Number three, The Thursday Murder Club, Richard Osman. Four friends in a retirement village team up to solve a murder on their doorstep. Number four, Both of You by Adele Parks. A detective investigates the sudden disappearance of two happily married women. Number five, Rabbit Hole by Mark Billingham. A police officer probes a murder on a psychiatric ward where she is a patient. Number six, Reminders of Him by Colleen Hoover. A troubled young mother struggles to rebuild her life after her release from prison. Number seven, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. An ageing Hollywood icon reflects on her relentless rise to the top. Number eight, The City of Tears by Kate Moss. A royal wedding could bring peace after years of war. Sequel to The Burning Chambers. Number nine, The Midnight Library, Matt Haig. A magical library allows a young woman to live life's endless possibilities. And number 10, The Night She Disappeared, Lisa Jewell. The teenage mum and her boyfriend go out on a date but never return. So those are the top 10 fiction 